A storm is coming. I don't need to fear, do I? Of whom shall I be afraid? No one and nothing. The Lord is my light. Is there darkness out there? Darkness is growing thicker. It's almost palpable, tangible. Even secular people know this, by the way. I was, uh, I, I watched a snippet of news the other day, and there was a panel of, you know, experts, you know? And they were being asked a question. There was five of them. And I imagine they're sitting in some studio in New York City, you know, and, and they were asked a, a theological question. It caught my attention. I kind of sat up. They were asked this, this panel of five, do you believe the devil exists? There's a devil. And I thought for sure these seemingly worldly sophisticates would, you know, in the main, deny that there is a devil. I found it interesting that to the last man and woman on that panel, they all agreed that there was, in fact, a a focus of evil incarnate in some being. They had different versions, a little different slants, but all five of them. I was astounded. Even, Even sophisticated people of the world today realize there is darkness. But guess what? There's good news. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? Do you like that? I've been a little troubled about the state of the church. You may know that the average age of a Seventh-day Adventist in the North American division now approaches 60 That's a problem, isn't it? That's a problem. That, that looks to me like dark times ahead for God's church. But I'm encouraged today. I'm encouraged. I, I've got some stories I want to tell you. I'm, I'm encouraged today. There is darkness, but the Lord is my light and my salvation. Do you believe that this message and movement will triumph? It's going to look like it's tottering and teetering and about to fall, but it does not. I've read the end of the book, the end of the story, and wow, God's people, his his precious people overcome. I want to be on the right side when that day comes. Amen? I had the most thrilling, thrilling thing perhaps happen to me about two Fridays ago. Hannah, the life jacket Hannah, she's now mid-late 20s. And uh, she's had some problems. She hasn't darkened the door of the church in probably a decade. Wow. I've got subject matter for prayer, don't I? And, uh, you know, she did the whole thing. I mean, she you name it, she did it. The tattoos and the piercings and the boys and yeah, yeah, yeah. And man, she broke my heart. I want to say to you today that I did not take up drinking. Praise God. She calls me a couple Fridays ago 
And she's been estranged from her husband. They've only been married a year. How can that be? And I went and saw her. She lives in Michigan now. I went and saw her about a month ago. And a lot of her other family and friends are saying, just dump the guy. And I said, sweetie, you can't do that. You are married. You are married. That's a sacred covenant. It matters. It ma- do you believe that matters still? Our promises? Anyway, she calls me up a couple Fridays ago. Incredible. She says, Dad, I've got to do, I've got to do things right. I've been doing them wrong for a long time. I've got to start doing them right. She says, I want to go to a marriage retreat. And I've got to get back to church. I've, got, I've been doing it wrong. I've got to start doing things right. And I, I, I solicit your prayers on behalf of Life Jacket Hannah. She'd forgotten her name means uh, gracious one or graceful one. And I reminded her of that. And she goes, well, I need it. She said, I need grace. She does. But God is at work in her life. I, I'm encouraged about our young people today. God is moving upon our young people. Did you know that there are some places in the world, in fact, outside North America, where we don't have a problem of aging? We have a problem of youth. Did you know this? In, in many places in the world, the church is growing at such incredible uh, rates amongst young people. And in those cultures where age is respected... The church needs some old people because it's all young people. I I witnessed this firsthand. I was in Southeast Asia for a couple of years and our church was filled with young people, high school, college age kids, kids. And the people, you know, the upstanding citizens of that culture kind of looked down at us. We're just a kiddie church. I was really grateful just before I left. I think we baptized a few people that were like in their 30s. We were excited. We have a little, you know, gravitas now. We got some people in their 30s. That's exciting, amen? Amen. That's exciting. Amy, I should probably tell you a story about Amy. She was the shivering one in that front canoe. She used to love to say, cool beans, man. Cool beans. That was her thing. Is there some place called Cool Beans? Is there like a store or something? That was Cool Bean. Amy was not a Seventh-day Adventist. I get a call one day from this young person. I'm living in Janesville, Wisconsin, pastoring there. And I get this call from this guy out of the blue. Out of the blue. He just calls me up. And for some reason, we ended up talking about mountain biking. Is there some people here into cycling? Seems like I've heard rumors of that. Yes, yes. Anyway, we just hit it off right away. He's not an Adventist. Um, his mother was living in the community, and he calls me up. He wants Bible studies. He's like 18 years old. You do not get calls like this very often. Wow. Anyway, uh, Chris, he, he takes Bible studies. And about 12 years ago, in a very cold river in Minnesota, at this very time of year, November, I got to be in this cold river baptizing him. And he is now, and I, I got to tell you about Chris, when you first met him 12 years ago, he had the piercings and the tattoos and, the, and this hair thing. I don't know what was happening. 
But he is right now living at the headwaters of the Amazon River, an accomplished mission pilot for the Seventh-day Adventist Church. He saves sick people in villages that cannot be reached along the river. He flies in and he, and he, and he takes them out and brings them to the big city hospital. Wow! Can we say amen to that? No, wait a minute. Can I hear a cool beans? Because Chris married Amy. She was in the water, in the river, in Minnesota that November 12 years ago. Wow, cool, cool beans. Cool beans. Wow. I'm encouraged today. I'm encouraged. If you want, you can be discouraged. But I'm encouraged today. My daughter calls me. She wants to get back with God. That's a miracle. All right, that's all preamble. That wasn't even part of the sermon. I'm going to Psalm 27, our scripture reading. Psalm 27. I want to look at verse uh, 4. Verse 4. One thing. I have desired of the Lord. That will I, what? Seek. That will I seek. That I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. To behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. This psalm could be called the song of the sanctuary. Are you enjoying those Sabbath school lessons? Yeah. Hey, if you're not coming, you have good Sabbath school teachers here. May I say, I richly enjoyed that Sabbath school class I went to. I, I noticed there wasn't a lot of people here as much as there is now. But man, you've got to go to Sabbath school. We're studying the sanctuary. We are people of the sanctuary, are we not? And this is a song of the sanctuary. It has more references to the temple than any other psalm. And the psalms are rich with references to the sanctuary. In fact, they average one reference per psalm. There's 150 references about in the psalms to the sanctuary. In fact, this would be probably the psalms are the hymn book of the sanctuary. The priests would be chanting these songs, you know, as they... In fact, they had paid Levitical choirs that sang these songs. Paid clergy to sing them, these wonderful praises. Psalms, by the way, are the most... If you were to poll Christians of all persuasions, you know what Bible book they would choose? The majority of people choose as their favorite? It's the Psalms. And they are rich with sanctuary references. One thing I have desired of the Lord, that will I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. Sanctuary. That's where I want to be. That's where the psalmist wanted to be. And he made it his single-minded pursuit. Notice what happens there at the sanctuary. He's going to behold the beauty of the Lord there. Did you know there are 14 words for, for beauty in the Old Testament referring to the beauty of the sanctuary? 
It was such a beautiful place. It was just overwhelmingly awesome. Incredible. Had to have 14 words for beauty. By the way, what's the most glorious, beautiful thing about the sanctuary? Isn't it the the character of the one who dwells within? Yeah. 14 words for beauty. I want to be in the house of the Lord, God's temple, his sanctuary, all the days of my life to behold his beauty. And to do what? Inquire in his temple. This word inquire refers to to examine closely, to investigate. In other words, his single-minded pursuit involved not just an aesthetic appreciation, you know, and that's good, but he's also going to be a a deep Bible student. Can I hear cool beans to that? Is, Is that not a good job description for you and I? This one thing I have desired of the Lord, that will I seek. Now, this is a problem. Here is the problem. We are more like shotguns than we are 30-06s. You know what I'm saying? I did not hunting season open this morning. I've got some friends. They moved out to the country. They live in the woods over by the campgrounds, Camp Wakanda, and they moved out to, to be in the stillness of nature. But you know what? On the first day of hunting season, the foundations of their house begin to rock as sunlight begins to appear. You know, I mean, it's noisy out there when those hunters cut loose. I, I, I have, I've had two guns. I'm not a hunter. I, I saw a bumper sticker once that said, vegetarian, Indian name for bad hunter. That's me. But I did, I had two guns. I gave them away. I gave them away. I had, uh, I had a .30-06 beautiful gun. And I, I like shooting it, but it targets. I don't, like, I don't like killing, you know, things. I think God loves the animals, amen? And if he notices a sparrow falling to the ground, I think, you know, he's noticing when a beautiful, majestic animal is... is I, you know, I'm maybe stepping on toes, but that's where I'm at. Anyway, back to .30-06s. Our problem is this. We are more like shotguns. And you know the difference. Maybe we're not a, maybe you're not into guns, but this is the thing about a shotgun. A shotgun fires out these little tiny BBs, these little pellets. And, and it sprays. It's like a scatter gun. It sprays and, and it can hit a large target. But a 30 out six. Now there is a projectile. And that bullet will fire out of that gun and it will go at a high velocity and it will go far. You and I have been scattered. We're like a scatter gun. Instead of pursuing one thing, you understand what I'm saying? We have pursued a lot of things. Are you with me? We're too much like shotguns. We need to be 30-06 Christians. Can I hear cool beans to that? God wants us to have this singleness of heart. One thing have I desired of the Lord, that will I what? Seek again. God understands that we're, we're on a quest. All mankind, we're on this quest. It's got adventure mingled in. We're on a quest. But what are we seeking? Have you ever noticed 
how many things have been invented in the last century or so that we can pursue? The devil is busy about making stuff to turn our heads. Are you with me? 150 years ago, people generally lived pretty much like they had lived for all the centuries. If you wanted to get from point A to point B 150 years ago, pretty much you walked. If you were lucky, you had a horse or a donkey. If you wanted to communicate with somebody that was far away, you had basically one choice, a letter. That was it. Yeah. If you were lucky, you were near a bottle of water, you could get on a ship like Paul did. But basically, people lived. They grew their food. They, there was agricultural, uh, you know, environment and culture. But suddenly, has something changed? Has something changed in the way we live? Some of it's good, I have no doubt. But we, we have been distracted by, by these inventions. You know what I'm talking about? Wow. I mean, you think about it. I, I like sports. I'm going to admit it. I like sports. Do you know when football was invented? Late 1800s. Bike racing, bicycle. You know when that was invented? Late 1800s. Baseball invented mid 1800s. Do you, do you get a theme going here? Basketball invented, I think, 1870, 60, 80, 90, somewhere in Massachusetts. Was God... Was the devil busy about inventing stuff to kind of turn our heads, you think? And notice the timing. What, what does all these inventions correlate with? And I can name many more, not just sports, but was it not the rise of the Advent movement, the end time message that was to turn people's heads? Instead, we've got all these other te- head, head turners. We are so much like shotguns instead of 30 out sixes. And you know, God weeps. He says, thou shalt have no other gods before me. Does he not say that? And we got these other gods that are always popping up. And you know, you, you got you to gotta notice when they're popping up because you got to step on them. Amen? We got lots of them popping up on the left and on the right. Kids today, the youth today, live in an entirely different culture than when I lived. They they can't live without the notion of their iPad, iPod, their computer, their cell phone, you know, their their devices. It's it's incredible. Have they turned some people's heads? That's all I'm saying. The devil is busy making a bunch of inventions turning our heads. The devil has head turners. My wife's on the phone the other day with a young lady. You know, my wife, uh, she has a background in counseling, so she, she does some counseling. And this, this lady, this young lady, had given herself to a number of young men, a, a, a number of young men. And Dorothy says to her on the phone, she says, you know, she said it gently. She said, you know, when you do this, you fragment yourself. You, you, understand, you, know, you understand fragment yourself? You and I have become fragmented. We're like that that shotgun with all these pellets going off in all these little directions. Fragmented people. God says one thing, one thing. Have you pursued the one thing? The one thing that really matters. 
I like, I, you know, my, my, uh, my profession, my, my, my money-making profession is assembling stuff. I like, I like assembling stuff. I like it. I studied engineering for a time, didn't finish because God, God got me. But uh, I like stuff that fits together. And I like putting it together and seeing how it all fits together. This psalm has a structure that fits together. And uh, these structures are called chiasms. They're exciting things. They're exciting. Usually, I'll give you an illustration of what I'm talking about. How many here have ever climbed a mountain? We've got some mountain climbers. We don't have a lot of mountains in Wisconsin. We call them mountains, but hey. We got, we got some little ones. If you climb a big mountain, you will find that as you ascend in elevation, that things begin to change. At first, at the bottom of the mountain, there could be some big trees. But as you get higher, you know those trees, they get small, and pretty soon they're kind of stunted. And then you get to a place called tree line where there is no more trees, Right? You just got, it's kind of barren. There's rock, there's ice maybe. And you find, you know, there's different animals at different levels. You know, you get up to the top, there might be hardly any life at all. Just little tiny, little tiny plants hugging the ground. If that. When you go back down the mountainside, you meet all those same zones, but in the opposite direction, right? You're following me. In recent years, Bible scholars have discovered these structures all over Scripture. That's exciting to me. Because I, I like, I like, you know, I like this. I like it a lot. And at the high point of the mountain, you get the main point of what God is, is talking about. This is exciting because God is going to show us what the main point is at the apex, at the zenith of the mountain. The entire, by the way, books of Moses, the Pentateuch, has one of these structures. Do you know what the middle of the Pentateuch, the high point is? It's Leviticus 16. Did we not study that in Sabbath school? The Day of Atonement. Are we Day of Atonement people? Yes, we are. And it's the middle of the foundational books of the Bible. That's exciting to me. On that day, God's people's sins are cleansed away. Is that good news? What does that mean? That means on the Day of Atonement, that there is a blotting out in heaven's books of the very record of your sins and mine. Is this a day for us to fear? Is this a day for us to say, oh, that robs me of my Christian assurance? No. In fact, did you know that that was the only day of the year besides the seventh day Sabbath that was called a Sabbath of Sabbaths? Can we rest on the day of judgment, the day of atonement? Apparently we can. It's called a Sabbath of Sabbaths. Can I hear cool beans to that? The day of atonement doesn't rob us of assurance. It is the ultimate of assurance. Do we not have a great high priest in heaven? A great high priest in heaven. I like very much that our high priest is called the Son of Man in Daniel 7 as he takes up his priestly role. 
That title identifies him with humanity like no other title can. Isn't that right? Could it be? It's because God wants us to understand that on the Day of Atonement, God's cosmic day of judgment in his heavenly temple, there is one that stands also in our place representing us. We have said that about the cross. He was in our place. But we haven't said it so much about the judgment. But I think that's why he's called the Son of Man. Can I hear cool beans to that? I don't have to worry because I have somebody in heaven with a perfect record that represents me before the Father. All right, back to structures. The apex of Psalm 27. Check this out. I, 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 this, is, this is the very middle of the high point, and we could spend a lot of time proving this structure, but take a look at verse 8. When you said, seek my face, my heart said to you, your face, Lord, will I seek. What's God, God's message to us right now? Seek my face. And live! And the psalmist responded, Your face, Lord, I will seek. I'm not going to be a shotgun, Lord. I'm going to be a 30 out 6 I'm going to have a single-minded purpose. Your face, Lord, will I seek. Wow. Are you doing that? Is, is that what you're doing? Is that what you're about? If, if right now God is looking into your life, would he say that that person right there who professes my name has a heart single for me? Would he say that? Or would he say, no, that person's fragmented? I'm turning to the Gospel of John. I want you to see this in the Old Testament. I want to show it to you in the New Testament. Gospel of John now. And uh, before we look at this verse, it's in chapter 1. You know that last words are important, aren't they, of, of anybody? You know, when someone's breathing their last or they're going away, you know, we kind of lean over and, you know, we want to hear what they have to say. These are last words. Last words are important. There have been books written on the last words of Christ, the seven last words from the cross. I think I have that book. But first words are important too. We want to look right now at the first words of Christ in the Gospel of John. Are you interested in that? Because John, like the psalmist, he has a structure too. He is very intentional about the way he designs his, his book. And, and he, he puts these words in Christ's mouth for a reason. I'm in John chapter 1. I'm in verse 38. These are the first words of Christ. First words in the Gospel of John. 1, verse 38. Are you with me? Then Jesus turned and seeing them following, a couple of John the Baptist disciples, now we're following him, said to them, what do you seek? First words of Christ, what do you seek? Now, the thing is, in the Gospel of John, Jesus already knows what men are thinking and feeling. You know, that's clear in the, in the Gospel. He sees Nathaniel under the fig tree and knows what he's praying about. 
It says in another chapter coming up that he didn't have to, you know, have anyone tell him what was in man because he already knew what was in their hearts. He knew. So he asked this question, not because he needs to know. He asked this question because he wants it ringing in your ears and mine today. Can I hear cool beans to that? What do you seek? What do you seek? Are you a shotgun? You know, are you a 30-06? Do you have a single-minded purpose, affection centered on, on this one purpose, this one thing, this one truth? Can you say, this, this one thing have I desired, and that will I seek to dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to see the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple? Can you say that and be honest about it? I, I'm going to admit to you right now, I'm not so certain on, on every day about my own soul. That's what I want to be. That's what God would have me to be. That's what God would have you to be. He's not going to have divided heart worshipers in his kingdom. Is that not right? He's not going to have uh, other lovers, you know. He, he's it. The Bible says he is a, what kind of lover? A jealous lover. God is pretty romantic. It's pretty romantic. He is a jealous lover. He, he's not going to share us with anybody else. What do you seek? What are we seeking? I had a friend, and we were, we were to study the Bible together about a certain subject. And uh, I, I, it's sad to say, but he has since left the church. And one day, after over and over again, you know, uh, not studying together because of, you know, distractions. He, he was on disability, retired. He, he didn't have a job, but he just never could get it. He never could, you know, nail it down, just couldn't do it. And finally, this had gone on for months. And I said, brother, what are you doing? What are you doing? And God is asking us, what are you do- What are you seeking? What are you seeking? I'm turning to the end of the Gospel of John now. End of the Gospel of John. We're just about done. John, I'm, I think I'm in chapter 20. Oh, no. That's not quite what I want. That's not the scripture I want. Hang on one second. Ah, found it. All right. Yes, John 20. It is what I want. John 20 and verse 15. These are some of the last words of Christ now. He says some more things, but chapter 21 is considered kind of an epilogue. The book kind of ends in chapter 20. If you read it, you know, there's like a summary statement. And 21, he kind of tacks it on. But 20 20 is about, about it. Not much more. And this is like almost the last words of Christ in the Gospel of John. John 20, verse 15. Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? 
Whom are you seeking? Is this an important question? It's a pretty important question. And our lives will answer it. You know, we talk a lot about the love of God in Christian pulpits, don't we? That, that, that's pretty much been nailed down. Don't you agree? It's not up for debate, not for, up for dispute. God loves us. Somebody sent me a thing. Uh, it said, you know, if God had a refrigerator, your picture would be on it. Cool beans, right? It's, not a, it's written into the very fabric of the universe. It's written into the DNA of our beings. It's written on the cross of Calvary. God is crazy about us. But this is the question. That's not a question. This is the question. Do we care about God? Isn't that right? Do you love him with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength? Do you have this one Now, it's interesting. It's interesting to me, the question that we are to ask in response to Jesus' question, whom are you seeking? Let's go back to John chapter 1. John chapter 1. Whom are you seeking? What do you seek? Verse 38 Then Jesus turned, 138, seeing them following, said to them, what do you seek? They said to him, Rabbi, which is to say when translated teacher, this is what they ask. Where are you staying? Where are you, God? Where are you? Are you asking that question? We answered it in Sabbath school today. Where is Jesus right now? Is he not in in the great house of God, in heaven's temple, ministering on our behalf, pleading his merits and his blood? Is it not vital that our faith follow him there? Is it not vital that right now we seek to dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of our life? Is it not completely vital and necessary that the faith of end-time believers gets fixed upon Christ's work in heaven's temple? We talked about it in Sabbath school. I was almost going to go home because Dave Weiland did such a good job. You see, this is what happens there. You've heard about this proclamation magazine? There are voices, there are distractions seeking to turn you away from the the truth for this time. We must have our faith fixed upon Christ Jesus in heaven's temple, following his work there. And as we do so, as we follow him from the courtyard where he was sacrificed, you know, the altar into heaven's holy place and into the most holy, we see him there right now, Right now, with our with our eye, our, our faith eye, and do we not see? How can we not see that Christ pleading his wounds 
before the Father, portrayed there as seated on a mercy seat, under which is the what? The Ten Commandments. Is it not impossible to see that the Ten Commandments are present truth right now? Are they not? If you will hold on to Jesus right now, if you will fill your mind single-mindedly with who he is and what he's about right now and hang on to that, despite the storm that's coming from within and without, you're going to see your way through into the great house of God physically. Can I hear cool beans to that? Don't let the devil distract you. Don't let Proclamation Magazine dissuade you. Just keep your eyes on Jesus right now. The book of Revelation portrays an end time people who do this very thing. They keep the commandments of God and they have the faith of Jesus. How many here would like to raise their hands to such a God today and say, that is my determination right now. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we, we just sang it. And I pray that we meant it. Give me, Jesus, this one thing I have desired, that will I seek. Amen.